Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. This is our fourth hodgepodge episode, which we are now calling Hodgepodge of Horror, which Spencer still doesn't like. Formerly, we called it just hodgepodge. Um, but hodgepodge of horror is better, right, Mindy? I think so. It kind of reminds me of Treehouse of Horror a little bit. Or is it Treehouse of Terror with the Simpsons thing, but cooler? Yeah. Yeah, but Spencer is still like, you can do better. <laughs> so I don't know. I honestly can't really think of anything better. But if anyone listening has a better name for these episodes, let us know and we will give you full credit. Um, these episodes are basically just kind of a roundup of horror and true crime news, any updates that we have heard of or read about, and what we've been watching and other weird, creepy, or interesting things. So, yeah. Hodgepodge of horror. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's start this episode with a little bit of Twin Peaks news. Um, We really should start every episode with a little bit of Twin Peaks news. (laughs) But yeah, I agree. I agree. We should start every episode that way. Everyone knows that we love Twin Peaks, but honestly, I don't think we've ever really talked about Twin Peaks um, in any of our stories or anything like that. So here's our first... Not yet, anyway. (laughs) Not yet. But soon, we have maybe an entire episode that's going to be all Twin Peaks coming up, possibly. All right. So for all of you other Twin Peaks fans out there, you will have a new documentary and a new book to look forward to. Both the book and documentary are about the real-life murder that influenced the creation of Twin Peaks. This info comes from IndieWire and also Nerdist. For those of you who are unaware, there is a real unsolved murder, one that haunted a young Mark Frost and helped to create the central Twin Peaks mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. This unsolved murder is now the focus of a new documentary and accompanying book titled Blonde, Beautiful, and Dead, The Murder Mystery That Inspired Twin Peaks. It's written by David Bushman and Mark Given. The Blonde, Beautiful, and Dead documentary adaptation is to be directed by Benjamin Alfonsi. Alfonsi told Movie Maker, It's been incredibly rewarding to see Hazel's story take on a life of its own. I hope this documentary will give her a voice on screen that she didn't have in real life. Both the book and the documentary will attempt to unravel the century-old mystery of who murdered Hazel Drew, a popular young woman washed up on the shores of Sand Lake, New York, in the summer of 1908. According to a Washington Post article, on July 7, 1908, 20-year-old blonde-haired, blue-eyed Hazel Irene Drew walked along a remote section of Taberton Road. This was a heavily wooded area that stretched out by Teal's Pond and was popular with squirrel hunters, campers, and fishermen looking for bait. But it was a risky place for a young woman like Hazel to walk alone at night. This was the last confirmed sighting of Hazel Drew before her lifeless and bloated body was discovered floating face down in Teal's Pond four days later. Cause of death? A blow to the back of the head, her skull crushed with a blunt, unknown weapon. 
The water had distorted Hazel's features so beyond recognition that she could be identified only by her clothes and the gold fillings in her teeth. Ugh. Uh, the evidence pointed overwhelmingly to murder. The murder happened in the vicinity of Taberton, New York, where future Twin Peaks co-creator Mark Frost spent his summer vacations as a youth. Frost's maternal grandmother, Betty Calhoun, would spin yarns derived from local lore, including Hazel's murder, framing it along the lines of a cautionary ghost story. Don't go out in the woods at night. As Frost remembered in a 2017 interview, I'd heard stories about Hazel all through my growing up because she supposedly haunted this area of the lake. So that's kind of where Laura came from, Frost said in a statement to Movie Maker. The Hazel Drew murder draws you into a nexus of power, money, and sexual politics that feels utterly contemporary. This haunting tale also provided the nightmare fuel for a fictional tragedy that decades later asked the question, who killed Laura Palmer? Frost will write the foreword to the book. Both the documentary and the film are scheduled to be released sometime in 2021. So that's super exciting. I have a question. Yeah. How have we not known that this existed until now? Or how have I not known that this story existed. I always heard that Twin Peaks was based off a real-life murder in New York. I didn't realize it was from 1908. I thought it was more recent than that. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was from, like, the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. When, you know, like, serial murder was popular. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) yeah, I didn't know all these details. So this is kind of fascinating, especially because it combines like a murder story with a possible ghost story or stories that people have been telling for like over a hundred years. So yeah, really cool. I'm looking forward to both the book and also the documentary. I think it'll be really, really interesting. And as you know, Twin Peaks fans, we know that we just can't get enough of the show or like anything to do with the show. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So we just have to wait till next year, though. Yeah, well, that's okay. (laughs) All right, Mindy, what is your first hodgepodge of horror? Well, actually, it's kind of funny that you were talking about, like, um, Mark Frost and his grandmother, you were saying, right? And she would talk about, like, old stories of lore and all this, because I sort of have something similar to talk about, kind of. Um, I've kind of got a grudge, though, that I want to talk about. Um, of the Netflix series variety. Uh, Not sure how this got by me, but I just found out maybe two weeks ago that uh, there's a new series called Juan Origins, which I think came out at the beginning of July. And it is a prequel series to the film Juan, which you probably know that I am a fan of. What's weird is that I heard about it right after I was reading this article on atlasobscura.com about, uh, quote, Japanese ghost houses. Uh, And yes, I absolutely clicked on the article because I was thinking, wait, do they mean like in Juwan, but for real? (laughs) Um, Not quite. It's actually really sad. Uh, The article talks about how there's an increasing number of abandoned homes, primarily in rural areas of Japan that are slowly decaying due to lack of occupancy. Uh, Younger generations are, especially are moving towards the city to settle down. 
like, you know, for work or just convenience or more opportunities in general. So once like the homeowners pass away, their heirs or even prospective home buyers are less likely to want to take on the expense of a rundown home in the middle of the country. But the article actually has some really amazing photography. So uh, we can post the link because I think it was actually like a really interesting read and really cool. But after I was reading this article, I learned that Netflix made this Juan series. And I was like, how's that for synchronicity, right? Can I ask a question about the ghost houses before you yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about the show? So they're ghost houses because they're just abandoned, not because they're actually haunted or because people right. necessarily died in them. Okay. But I naturally went, they're haunted. So I clicked the link. Well, of course. That's, yeah, that's where my <laughs> mind went to as well. But that's kind of natural. I like right away pictured that house from Juwan, um, and then I literally like almost by accident found out like almost immediately after that there was this series on Netflix that I had no idea existed, um, and I although to it. be fair, don't beat yourself up too much because you said it came out at the beginning of July, so maybe it was out for like what a week before you found out. I I don't know, but I I feel like that's something I should have known about. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, it took me by surprise that they they even went to do that. And I binged it already. Um, And naturally, I have some thoughts on it. So I kind of wanted to talk about it. Um, But that also, like, spun me down a rabbit hole of, like, looking at urban legends, like Japanese urban legends and more into abandoned homes in Japan. So... So, yeah, so we'll talk more about abandoned homes because I actually do have an interesting story for you along that line, but um, it ties in. So I'm going to overall say this about the series. It's no haunting of Hill House because, duh, but oddly, it actually manages to pull a Flanagan, which is a phrase I'm going to coin now, (laughs) Um, in that (laughs) the series does feel like something new, uh, while, to quote uh, Collider.com, it remains uh, rooted in the traditions of the franchise fans love, but told through a new perspective. Origins is theoretically a prequel set prior to the events of the original film, and it succeeds as a prequel while managing to cleverly and very subtly connect both the Japanese and American films in one big grudgy old world. That said, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, and I definitely wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's not a fan of the original Japanese film. Both the film and the Netflix series tell stories of various people that come in contact with this house and are unfortunate enough to, you know, be doomed by it and do so in nonlinear fashion. However, and this is the first of two main criticisms I have about the series, unlike the film, there's practically nothing about origins that's subtle. Its perspective is exceedingly brutal, which I found to be both incredibly powerful, but also kind of a detriment. Um, Again, from a Collider.com article that whose link I will post, quote, uh, the violence against women and children in the film was the internal source of the external horrors. In Juan Origins, that real world violence is the external focus and the hauntings are on the periphery. To the series' credit, there's a value in capturing the horror of abuse and confronting an audience with it. We've seen too many times that confirmed abusers will be pardoned and praised in the public eye. There are violent crimes relegated to a subcategory on their Wikipedia page while the names of their victims are forgotten, if not 
outright ignored. But at a certain point, Origins crosses the threshold from powerful depictions of abuse into explicit, borderline, exploitative carnage, unquote. So I kind of expected something like that when I press play, but I think that if any potential new fans are out there and want to check this out, they will be very easily turned off pretty quickly by the brutality, which is a very, like, a totally understandable reaction, I think. The other main criticism I have of the show is that you need a goddamn flowchart to keep track of everything that's happening. Because of the nonlinear storytelling, it, it works well in a digestible, thankfully, only 30-minute long episode format, but there are so many characters and so many storylines compared to the film not to mention like Easter eggs and references to the previous iterations of the story that it's genuinely hard to keep track of what's happening and who's who half the time. So any new viewers, if they're not scared off by the brutality of the show's violence, might just reach their breaking point simply trying to follow the plot. Are all the characters interwoven or they are in that they're involved with the house. Okay. Yeah. That's the main thread that ties all the characters together. Yeah. And it, and it, it spans throughout time, too. Both the movie and the show does, but the events of the show are, are prior to what we see in the film, if that makes sense. And it's very hard to, to describe, which is why I'm keeping it kind of high level, because that's what I like about it, about the, about the film, is how interwoven everything is. And it, it makes no sense, but it does at the end. But it, you're still like, like, I mean, I watch it like several times and, and I, you know that I don't really go down with like, you know, violence against women and children type movies. And this is like one. That oh, I you don't? <laughs> How odd. What'd you say? I said, oh, you don't? How odd. <laughs> Shut up. I would say, I'd say you're in the majority on that one. <laughs> so how does... This compared to the Shirley Jackson book, Juan. <laughs> well, so actually, I was just going to quickly say, overall, I'm glad I watched it, but I hesitate to say that I enjoy it. It's definitely a prequel. And uh, Netflix, actually, and this was, this was kind of, I was thinking about this during your other, your, the story about uh, Twin Peaks for some reason, but um like Netflix kind of nailed the timing of the release, in my opinion, um, just because right now with so many people like that need to stay home or quarantine at home, the thought of having to be stuck in a house that's like horribly cursed is really terrifying. But what's also terrifying is like the thought of a contagious ghost curse during a pandemic like you could just be delivering a fucking pizza and like this thing will follow you home. Juwan, the movie is definitely one of a kind and flaws in all the series is an impressive addition to the mythology, despite it's like I said, despite its flaws. And this is what I was excited to tell you. It's actually widely believed that Juwan was based in part on an actual house that existed in uh, Ama. AMA, um, and it's referred to as the Yellow Triangle House or Triangle Mansion. And yes, there are pictures online and we can post them. This was a real house. The house itself no longer exists, 
But there's, like I said, photos, but even some YouTube videos are up online and there's even coordinates that you can pull up in Google Maps that shows where this house once stood. And the story is that a wealthy couple bought the house in the late 1970s only to go bankrupt in the 80s and commit suicide. Um, From then on, the home had many would-be residents, none of whom ever stayed very long, if at all, in the home. For years, it stood abandoned, just like the homes in the story that started this whole thing off in Atlas Obscura. We've come full circle. I'm assuming they committed suicide in the house. Yeah, they double suicide. Yeah. Supposedly, as the story goes. And then supposedly any attempts to tear the house down were met with tragedy and death. Again, as the story goes, um, the house was finally demolished a few years back. Seemingly, there was no incident involved with that. And now it's a parking lot. Um, Though I I was unable to find any reports about cars who parked in the lot experiencing the supernatural. But I'll keep looking. Um, For anybody who is curious and you want to dip your toe maybe in the Juan world, Takeshi Shimizu's two short films that inspired the film Juan are streaming online. Uh, Katasumi, a.k.a. In In a Corner. And another short that's a bunch of fours. For, they're both from 1998, so um, we can post those online. But A bunch of fours? It, it was just a weird coincidence that like I saw these articles together, and then I was like, oh my god, there's Juan show. Oh, it's, it's interesting. Holy shit, there was really a house that was kind of like this? So yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I can't believe I just said that. Wow. Hmm, I think I might pass on this, because... I'm definitely not as big of a Juan fan as you are, so I'm probably not going to watch this. And it sounds like you didn't care for it too much either. To quote you exactly, Juan the TV show, quote, it's a prequel. <laughs> that's, your, that's your full review. <laughs> it well, is a- it is a prequel. I'll give it that much. It's a successful prequel, I think, but... It's a complicated story. So basically, overall, I'm saying tread lightly. (laughs) Well, all right. You did mention something um, about being stuck in the house during a pandemic and how that ties in to what you were talking about with the ghost houses and Juan and all that. So that kind of ties into what I'm going to be talking about next, which is horror fans and the pandemic. This comes from futurism.com. A new study shows that horror movie fans were better prepared for the pandemic. Oh my God. This study. (laughs) I know. I love that scientists like studied. this. (laughs) They actually took the time out to study this. Um, So this study comes from a team of psychologists who sought out to learn what types of people were coping well during the coronavirus pandemic, and they found that an unusual group rose to the top. Horror movie aficionados, Hmm. a.k.a. you and me. Uh, So New Scientist magazine reports horror movie fans and those who were deemed more, quote, morbidly curious... (laughs) which I love that term. I'm going to start referring to myself as morbidly curious (laughs) from now on. 
Um, but those who are deemed more morbidly curious by a personality test seem to be less psychologically distressed by COVID-19. The study doesn't answer why that's the case, but the findings suggest that those who seek out terrifying fiction may have been better prepared or at least more readily able to stay positive as a nightmarish pandemic unfolded around them. Hmm. Uh yeah. <laughs> University of Chicago psychologist Colton Scrivener, who worked on the research, told New Scientist that horror movie fans reported fewer negative mental states regarding the pandemic, which suggested to us maybe with horror it's about emotion, emotion regulation. Scrivener speculated about his own experience with horror, stating that Horror allowed him to give himself the experience of being afraid and then conquer that fear, which, yep. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, people who have studied why people like horror movies, that's basically exactly it. Yep, it exactly. allows totally. you to live out these, these nightmares, basically, and that you know physically you're safe, but you could still go through the emotions of it, but still being able to protect yourself mentally. Uh, so that definitely makes sense. University of Pittsburgh researcher Margie Kerr, who didn't work on the study, told New Scientist that she would reserve judgment until the research underwent peer review, which, I mean, yes, that is how you uh, make a study legitimate. <laughs> you have to have experts review it against other studies. Um, but... <laughs> She was curious about the underlying reason horror fans seemed more upbeat. And she said, is it a matter of having learned better emotional regulation through viewing horror movies, or are they somehow better at emotional regulation to begin with? Which, hmm. basically, it's kind of the which came first, the chicken or the egg situation. Yeah, yeah, Do yeah. people like horror movies because they are better at regulating their emotions, or... Over time, after watching horror movies, did they learn how to better regulate their emotions? So who knows, but very interesting. Uh, I kind of have my own theory that horror movie fans by nature are more likely to be introverts, and we just love having an actual excuse to stay home and binge horror movies now. <laughs> so I'm down with that explanation. I also still argue that you do learn things and it makes you smarter. I mean, I'm not kidding. I live on the third floor and I literally thought to myself, well, if there's a zombie outbreak, I'll at least have a fighting chance because I'll be above ground. Like that thought occurred to me for sure when I moved into my apartment. At least they can't get in your windows. They can only get in your front or back door. Yeah. Or yeah. like the time that I came home from somewhere and I knew for like I had like put my pajamas on I knew for a fact that I was the only one in my apartment and my bedroom the uh closet in my bedroom sometimes the door won't latch all the way and I was in my living room and I literally heard the the closet door unlatch and open and both of my cats because dreads was still alive at the time turned and looked too which that's like the red flag for me and so I went and Un pulled the chain off my front door and unlocked it so I could get out quick, grabbed a huge knife, and went to check it out. There was nobody in there, but I made my escape route and had a weapon just in case. Wouldn't have done that <laughs> had I not watched horror movies. I was just texting with one of our mutual friends today, and she was telling me how she saw the 
the trailer for the new Antlers movie and how good it looked, but she's like, I haven't watched a horror movie in a really long time because the real world is scary enough. And I was like, I've actually been watching a lot more horror and true crime because those movies are less scary than what's going on in real life nowadays. So, yeah, I think... uh, this this study is is very accurate i i can totally see that horror fans are handling this better than a lot of other people right now so yay us (laughs) (laughs) yeah see mom we were right when we were sneaking horror movies in the basement we were eight years old (laughs) (laughs) it prepared us for a global pandemic years in the future not giving away our ages (laughs) On that note, oddly enough, if you were looking for some psychological horror, but maybe nothing as traumatizing as Juwan or, you know, you, you, we've got some time to kill before Twin Peaks, the, that the real life movie and book comes out. Um, Shudder has some really interesting offerings right now. And one thing that I did watch like a week ago, maybe. Um, it wasn't necessarily a house that was cursed with a contagious haunting, but uh, The Beach House, a film from 2019, which is the name of the film, to be clear, uh, is an eerie watch for the summer of 2020, albeit unintentionally. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this because I've heard people say mostly not great things about it. Well, but yeah, and... I'll speak to that in a sec, but the basic plot, and I actually adjusted some of, I pulled this from IMDb and adjusted some of it just because I was conscious of not wanting to give spoilers, but the basic plot is a romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts turns into a struggle for survival when unexpected guests and the surrounding environment get creepy. And the get creepy part is my addition because I cut off the rest of what they said. But what's interesting is uh, in an interview with Bust Magazine, lead actress, uh, and I'm going to probably butcher this, uh, Liana Liberato, says that The Beach House was actually filmed three years ago. Um, So that makes its release this summer all the more creepy. Um, Sharon found this interview. It's actually available on Bust.com on Bust Magazine's website, so we'll post the link. I actually enjoyed the film. But I, I didn't know anything. I totally went in cold. And I think that that might help. Um, because I think had I known more about what is getting creepy, <laughs> I don't know that it would have ruined my enjoyment of the film. But I, I don't want to chance it. So I'm not going to say too much. I will say that it did remind me of a cross between a small indie film from about two or three years ago that I totally hated but Sharon loved and an M. Night Shyamalan movie that's not Unbreakable (laughs) or The Sixth Sense. Um, What movie is that? And that's the thing. If I reveal, it might be slightly spoilery to some people, but you know what? Who cares? It reminds me of a cross between Honeymoon and uh, The Happening. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I know you hate honeymoon but yeah she puts a, a pair of scissors in a vagina yeah I hated that movie uh, <laughs> regardless I will say that the beach house is much better than either of those films it's just way trippier 
Fun fact, the lead actress was actually in Hulu's original show, Light as a Feather, which is on my list because I've enjoyed their like random horror offerings that they've done, particularly the creepy stuff. But yeah, it, that the Beach House is eerily appropriate for right now. Hmm. And it'll become obvious why fairly early on as you're watching it. But I, you know what? I'm not going to ruin that for anybody. I, I say check it out. It's also not very long. So it's not like you're going to waste a lot of time if you don't like it. But in contrast, I watched uh, Lake of Death because I figured Beach House, Lake of Death, we're just going to go with the theme. <laughs> um, they also both came out on Shutter at the same time. Um, that one I was not as thrilled about. Uh, that one, I don't know anyone in the film at all, but the plot is uh, Lillian and some friends travel back to the remote cabin by the lake where her twin brother died last year, and soon after arriving, strange things start happening. I personally was a little confused because the ending slash twist, if that's what it was supposed to be, was, I thought, extremely obvious from the get-go. So maybe I just missed something and am a moron. It is apparently based on a Norwegian film called The Lake of the Dead, also known as Lake of the Damned, um, from 1958, directed by, we'll say, Carr Bergstrom, because I don't do Norwegian names very well. But (laughs) those are both available on Shutter. I would say go for the beach house over the lake if you have to is the 1958 movie is that a horror movie as well um it was i had to look it up because i i had a hard time even finding it in imdb and it says it's like a mystery thriller and the plot is slightly different from what they describe but i think it's probably the same idea but uh the Hmm. what i liked about the beach house is um the final girl who's the lead essentially i she i i liked her character and it, it's just kind of low budget and simple. And like I said, I went in cold and had no expectations. So maybe that's why I like I didn't hate it. But you're going to want to bring a mask. I'll leave it at that. Hmm, okay. uh, Sharon, what else have you got going on this week? <laughs> so maybe many people have heard this already, but I wanted to throw it out there. We talked about Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. Was it last week? Um, it was in our episode where we talked about uh, the murder of Jacqueline DeWallaby and also the tragic death of Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann from Poltergeist. Yeah. But yeah, we talked about the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix in that episode. So there was an update that came out about the third episode of the new Unsolved Mysteries that the one that took place in Nantes, France. I'll go into the story a little bit. There will be spoilers, but there is an update in this case that was very local to you and me, Mindy. So an aristocrat and his entire family disappear from their house in Nantes, France, and no one knew what happened to them until authorities unearthed something horrible horrifying under the family's back porch. Count Xavier Dupont de Ligonnès, and I apologize if I am saying that horribly, I'm using the best French that I can, but he vanished after the murders of his wife, four children, and two dogs in April 2011. I mean, fucking brutal, too. Like, really brutal. Like, horrifyingly so. 
Yeah, it was really tragic. I think he poisoned all of them and then shot them after they were drugged. Um, Yeah, and then buried all of them in the backyard underneath the porch. And for weeks... They they couldn't find the family, and I mean, there's way more to it. Right, yeah. you have to watch the episode. I'm not going to go into like a ton of it. I'm just kind of going into basically what happened to him after that, leading up to what just happened, like less than two weeks ago. Um, so this is from allthatsinteresting.com. An international warrant was sent out for his arrest. Just a few days after the murders, Xavier had left a digital trail throughout southern France, checking into hotels and paying restaurant bills using his credit card. His car was also identified in speed cam footage. The last time he was ever seen was on April 15th, 2011 in, once again, apologies if I mispronounce this, Roquebrune-sur-Argent in southeastern France, days before his family's bodies were discovered. CCTV footage showed him leaving a budget hotel. After taking 30 euros out of a cash machine, he abandoned his car and departed the parking lot with a large bag, possibly containing his rifle. Police suspected that this was his last hurrah before he set out to commit suicide, a common occurrence in crimes like this one. The nearby mountains might have been an attractive place for him if he was looking to kill himself somewhere remote. But when police launched an extensive search of the area to recover his body, they never found anything. He had vanished without a trace. There are many theories as to where Dupont de Ligonesse might be hiding. Since he did know English and Spanish to get by, one theory is that he fled to either Latin America on a cargo ship Another theory suggests he underwent plastic surgery and has been living in Scotland all this time. Since 2011, the French police have received over 900 possible sightings of Xavier, some of them within French borders. In 2018, investigators searched a monastery in the village of Roquebrune-sur-Argent after receiving a tip about a monk. But after a thorough investigation, it turned out the monk was just an unfortunate doppelganger. A year later, police detained another man who had allegedly used a fake passport in an airport in Glasgow, Scotland. But the man turned out to be another lookalike. Since the launch of the Unsolved Mysteries series, the police have received 20 new credible tips from viewers. Terry Dunn Muir executive of Unsolved Mysteries recently revealed that producers had received a potential positive sighting of DuPont. Somebody was actually in Chicago. I think they were on Lakeshore Drive and they heard this guy talking French and they looked at him and they just had seen the episode. They sent us a photo and it did look like Xavier. It was striking. So we sent that tip on to the police. This is all coming from the executive of unsolved mysteries but again this is just a stranger we don't have a name we don't have anything specific what we're hoping for is that he's remarried or has a girlfriend or he lives next door to someone or has a co-worker who absolutely 100 knows that's him we need a very specific lead because those leads come in from all over the world xavier looks so much like so many other people yeah. which 
This is where I disagree. He does. Actually. No, I think he does not. And I was studying his profile in the show. He has kind of like a weird forehead. He's got kind of a unique profile. And also his teeth are very messed up in like a like an unusual sort of way. There is a big gap in his teeth but they're like towards just I think the the left side but it's also very unusual which it's very easy to get your teeth fixed like that's something he could change but he's not going to be able to change his profile you know unless he did undergo extensive surgery but I was like studying his photo while I was watching the episode thinking okay just in case he's in Chicago like haha like joking to myself like I'll be able to pick him out and then sure enough like the first actual maybe positive sighting from him comes from fucking Chicago and I was like no way yeah that was super crazy actually one of my coworkers who does speak French fluently she was like Oh, he just looks like every other French dude. Like, a lot of people that I've talked to think that he looks pretty... And I actually thought he looked pretty nondescript. So I think I might have to watch that episode again. But, um... I mean, from the front, he is more nondescript. But if you look at his profile, it's very distinct. And I'm trying to remember, but I think, um... Like, the top of his forehead, I think, was kind of flat. And then kind of jutted out a bit. Instead of just, like, one you know, smooth slope, it was kind of like almost like a two-tiered forehead. I don't know. Couldn't believe that of like anywhere they could have possibly have found him. It was in Chicago. And we're recording yeah. this on the 24th. It's This episode is going to air on the 27th. So as of today, I took another look on the internet. There was no capture. There was no other new leads. Um, but who knows? Maybe by the time this episode airs, they'll have actually have made an arrest. Look out, buddy. Uh, so, yeah, we I know we binged through those first six episodes pretty quickly. Six more episodes are slated to drop later this year. So look for those. I cannot wait. And if you have any leads regarding Xavier Dupont de Lingonas, or who knows what the fuck name he's going by now, uh, or if you have any leads on any of the other cases, you can go to unsolved.com to submit your tips. And that is all I got on that. But just the tips. <laughs> that was my joke from last week. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have one more update, actually, about one of our friends. Um, Finally, in upcoming movie news, our buddy Mike Flanagan is gearing up for another Stephen King adaptation. Woohoo! This is an adaptation he's doing of Stephen King's novel called Revival. Um, A friend of mine who's a big Stephen King fan said that this is probably one of specifically the ending is probably one of the scariest king novels in recent history yeah mike flanagan is apparently adapting it for the film which is pretty cool uh according to slashfilm.com the script is currently in progress um no timing as of yet as to any potential release um, all I know about Revival is that Flanagan says he won't water down any of the plot. And like I said, I've been told that it features one of King's most horrifying and fucked up endings to date. So I'm like already <laughs> on board. 
Uh, that Does it involve a hand being put into a meat grinder? <laughs> or some other like horrible mangled hand uh, mutilation? I'm sure there will be some sort of mutilation. I, I don't know. He can't let us down now. This is not the time for you to stop, Mike Flanagan. I'm going to, I think I'm just going to like wait and every movie of his now, it's going to be like spot the mutilation. Like that'll be like the game mm-hmm. that I'll play it for all of his movies. Yeah. He's just going to start getting really sneaky with it. And it'll probably be just like a background actor who gets like a really bad paper cut or something. <laughs> but uh, the slashfilm.com reporter that, that updated about this story, uh, he also said that he's a huge fan of the book and uh, that, he echoed those sentiments about the ending being absolutely terrifying. So I'm going to keep myself completely ignorant of all details until I have the balls to read the book, which given my current entertainment choices probably won't be anytime soon, but I just Stephen King and Mike Flanagan besties forever. I'm excited. So yes, we're going to get a new, we're going to get a new adaptation from Flanagan of Stephen King and, Stephen King is down with it, apparently. But yeah, it's uh, so get ready for some disturbing shit, folks. <laughs> and yes, probably bloody appendages. Yeah, get ready. It may be a while since we are all still under quarantine for the most part. So that's all right. I can, I can wait. It'll be worth it, I'm sure. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Um, yeah. I just want to give a uh, a quick shout out before we close out this episode uh, I want to give a shout out to Nathan who is building this super awesome Michael Myers house um, like shadow box for me complete oh. with uh, Michael Myers action figure you can follow him at horror underscore at underscore 5280 you can check out some of his other work. He did this awesome wall hanging of Freddy Krueger in front of Freddy's house. You can have him make, this was actually a custom request by me because I saw his uh, Freddy Krueger wall hanging and thought it was really cool and was like, do you think you can do a Myers house for me? And he was like, absolutely. So he's been working on that. He's been posting pictures online at Instagram and sending me some. And right before we started recording this episode, he sent me the most recent picture, which I will forward to you, Mindy. It's looking really, really good. Um, I'm excited about it. I'm kind of jealous. I kind of want one. It it does look really cool. Oh, wait until you see the most recent update though he even made a little strode realty sign to put in front of the house so it's it's like super accurate to the actual Myers house yeah it looks awesome so once again that is whore underscore at underscore five two eight zero so go follow him on Instagram and if you have any ideas um, Mindy I think you should request a overlook ooh yeah, I think an overlook, maybe with like uh, little Danny riding his big wheel down the hallway or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like the hallway and like the twins or something. I I also yeah. really like Freddy Krueger, and I was I really yeah. liked that one too. I'll have to check out more of his stuff, but yeah, that's gonna be really cool. I can't wait to see Mike Myers. I know I'm excited for the finished project, and I have to figure out where I'm gonna hang it in my house. Um. So yeah. So that is it 
for our hodgepodge of horror episode and once again if you have any better name suggestions for these types of episodes feel free to write us we will give you 100% of the credit but we cannot pay you um so or if you have like a theme song for like hodgepodge of horror that you want to like like a jingle and you want to send that to us and we can play it for these episodes same thing we would give you credit but that might be cool too there you go. I will send you some free goodies. We we have a little treasure trove of goodies that we've bought for, um, you know, future raffles or uh, patrons. Um, so yeah, we might send you some fun shit if you come up with a name or a little jingle for us. That would be awesome. And we use it. And, and we use it. I mean, if we receive some, we might just read really bad names on the air or play really bad jingles. <laughs> but we might not use those as our um, theme for each hodgepodge of horror episode. Yeah, we're not going to give away random shit to every person who submits something. Yes. Th- thank you, Spencer, for putting that disclaimer in there. <laughs> also, if you would like to rate and review us on whatever streaming platform you listen to us on, that would be awesome. It definitely helps us get more exposure and it's free to do and only takes a few minutes. If you are able to, please subscribe to our Patreon if you want to have early access to episodes, uh, see exclusive posts, and maybe receive some cool shit. If you go to Whores Talk Horror on Instagram, you will find the link to our Patreon in our bio. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook as well. And you can always email us at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com if you want to share any ghost stories, creepy stories, true crime stories, UFO sightings, whatever you've been watching or listening to and you want to share that with us, or you can just say that you love us. And if you do... Really quick, if you do see um, the French guy from Unsolved Mysteries, please go to their website first, but then be sure to write us and let us know that you did that. <laughs> Especially if he's in Chicago, because then we can drive over there and... And kick him in the balls. Also... Sorry. <laughs> and it's French Kick balls. Kick him in the balls until the cops show up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and as always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy with, with us. Sharon, do you want a beer? Uh, Oh, my God.